All right. Good morning, Riverview. It's great to be with you today. Uh, thank me you made it here safe. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here. One of the West, or I'm the West Side Venue Director as well. Um, around this time of year, pretty much every year, um, I tend to think about my goals and my habits and just different changes that I want to make in my life. You know, I think you can call these resolutions. Um, I don't call them that because I never really keep them, and that's depressing. <laughs> so um, I don't call them resolutions, but I call them goals, right, uh, to think about. And just different rhythms that I want to say. And it seems like every single year around this time, I always say that I want to be better at journaling. Um, I want to be better at kind of capturing and what's going on in my life on paper, reflecting on it, thinking more about it, um, just kind of processing it in a different way than just keeping it in my head. And over the last 20 years or so, I've kind of gone in and out of this habit. And I have, um, I have times in my life where it's every day. I'm journaling and processing, and then I've got months at a time where I don't write anything, uh, right? But for me, um, it's really helpful whenever I have a place where I can process my thoughts, my emotions, my prayers, just kind of um, a place where I can write things down. And so this week, I actually pulled out an old journal. This, is, this started uh, back in my teenage years, and it was fascinating uh, reading about what teenage Tony was going through. Um, and as, as I read through this, there was a healthy dose of some teenage angst, I'll tell you what. Um, but what I realized about this journal and, and about uh, that time of my life was this was actually, I think, the primary place where I started to process really difficult things uh, that I was going through. Like, I would ask questions in here, like, why is this situation happening? Or what should I do? about this? Or why can't I fix this problem, whatever problem uh, I was going through in my teenage years? And what I was doing when I was asking these questions was I was trying to just seek understanding. And I was trying to get some answers as to why I was walking through certain affliction and hardship in my life. You know, I think this is something that all of us do to varying degrees. When we walk through suffering or when we walk through difficult seasons— we all want answers. Why is this happening? Why am I going through this? What should I do? Can I do anything at all? And while we may not sit down and, and write down those questions in a journal or, or even share them with other people, this is a tension that each and every one of us face in our lives. What do we do with affliction? Last week, we started this new series here at Riverview called Cruciformed that we're going to be in for the next six months. And when you came in, uh, you got one of these journals. We are encouraging you to bring these back every single week uh, because, again, journaling is a good thing. And if you were able to take this and just kind of write down your thoughts and process through this series, we think this would be a great gift to you and your future self, really just looking back on, on your study of this. So I'd encourage you to bring this every week. And if you have it with you, you can open up to week two, page eight. That's where we're going to be today. But one of the major themes that we're going to see in this book of 2 Corinthians over the next six months is this theme of suffering. How we navigate affliction in our lives as followers of Jesus. And this morning, as we just heard, we're only going to look at three verses. But in these verses, we're going to see the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. He is going to share with the Corinthian church um, some specifics about hardship and affliction that he went through in his life. Intense suffering. But with that, he's also going to share what he learned that he should do whenever he walks through affliction in his life as a Christian. So feel free to open up your journals to page 8, or if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and open up 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 8. 
Paul writes this, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. If you remember back to last week, if you were here with us, we did a little bit of context into this letter of Corinthians and even Paul's life. And part of Paul's life was he was not a Christian early on in his life. He was a Pharisee. He was a Jewish religious leader. He was adamantly against Christianity for much of his life. But Jesus miraculously saved him. And then he went on to plant churches and share the gospel in, in a lot of different places. And, and he actually began his letter of 2 Corinthians talking about how we worship a God of comfort how he, works, he, he comforts us in our affliction so that we can comfort other people in their affliction. While there is this inward nature of our faith and the way that God changes us, that always moves outward towards our love and service to other people. But here in verse 8, Paul kind of pivots and he writes to the Corinthians about something that he and his fellow Christians encountered in their travels in Asia. As they were doing ministry, sharing the gospel, planting churches, all these things, something happened that completely overwhelmed them. So much so that Paul says they were beyond their strength and that they even despaired of life itself. They thought they were going to die. So what exactly happened? Well, we don't know for sure. Theologians and historians have kind of debated and gone back and forth on what specifically Paul could be referring to. But if you've read much of the New Testament beyond the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where, where the Apostle Paul shows up, you will see he did not have an easy life. When he became a Christian and when he committed his life to, to living this out, he encountered hardship pretty much all the time. In his first letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about this time where he, he faced death by facing the wild beasts in Ephesus. We don't know who they were, but again, this could have been the situation. Later in 2 Corinthians, he, he, uh, he talked about how one time he received 39 lashings on his back um, after being brought before a Jewish court. It was thought during that time and culture that 40 lashes would kill you. So Paul got 39. Uh, we also see in Acts 19 that there was this riot that occurred. Paul and his friends were just in Ephesus, and they were sharing the gospel, talking about Jesus, and this riot occurs. And Everyone's like, Paul, you got to go. And Paul's like, I'm going in the middle of it. <laughs> he wanted to like go in to this giant riot, but his friends kind of pull him out. He was not um, nervous about that. But then again, in Acts chapter 20, Paul recounts how he went through a lot of different trials because of plots of the Jews. People that he grew up with, that he, that he maybe even knew, were plotting to kill Paul because he had become a Christian. Over and over again, Paul's life was marked by affliction. We see that word affliction here for the fourth time in just eight verses in this letter since it began back in chapter one. And the word for affliction there in the Greek is the word thlepsis. And that can just be translated as distress or oppression or even persecution or suffering. We're going to see that word five more times in this entire letter for a total of nine times. Paul talks about affliction. But whatever it was that Paul went through, we don't know. But we do know it was severe, and we know that it was challenging, and we see it in his choice of words. We were completely overwhelmed, we were beyond our strength, and we despaired of life itself. Now, I don't celebrate Paul's misfortune here. I'm not really excited that he went through that, but I do find myself oddly encouraged by this verse. 
that Paul wrote about this severe situation that he went through. And it encourages me because I'm reminded that people in the Bible were like us. They went through difficult things. They had moments in their life where they were scared. You know, I think for us as Christians, we, we can often believe that, that we just need to be put together all the time. Got to let everyone know that we're doing well, right? Life's good. We don't need anyone or anything. You know what? That glass is always half full because I'm a follower of Jesus. But this verse shows us that as Christians, we go through stuff that completely overwhelms us, that can be beyond our strength. And you know what? That's okay. Even people like Paul, who met Jesus face to face, they encountered situations that made them anxious, that worried them, difficulties that they had to navigate with other believers. So I find myself encouraged by that, that people in the Bible, they weren't just these superheroes, these pillars of the faith, but they were like us. They went through difficult things and needed to trust God. Paul talks about this in the next verse. Verse 9, look at what he says. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You know, when we go through hardship in our life, the first thing we often do is, is we seek understanding. Right? And we do that really by asking questions. Questions like I asked in my journal. Why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? How can I bring this ordeal to an end? Right? What can I do? How can I get life back to how it was? And the sad thing is, these questions, they don't often yield satisfying answers. But as we ask the questions, we're often led to different beliefs about suffering. Or we just end certain places just to make sense of it. And I think there's a few different places we can end up when we think about suffering. First, we may believe that suffering just has no reason at all. It's just fate or coincidence or chance, right? And we just got dealt a difficult hand in life. You know, if that's where you land, if that's what you believe about suffering, then the only logical place to go is, is really just hopelessness. Because <laughs> there's no reason for it. There's nothing you can do about it. And then when you start seeing other people whose hand is a little bit better than yours, that produces bitterness and resentment. Why isn't my life easier? Why isn't my life like theirs? Why isn't it better? We can begin to think suffering is just no meaning at all. Another place we can go is that instead of no meaning at all, we can believe that suffering can actually be controlled by us. That by hard work, and determination and ingenuity, we can figure this out. We can get rid of suffering just on our own strength. If that's what we believe, we don't go to hopelessness, but we actually go to stress and pressure and anxiety because, you know, it's about us. We don't need faith in anything else but ourselves. So we trust in just our own ability to fix whatever's in front of us, even when it's unfixable sometimes. But the third belief we have is that instead of trials being meaningless or all up to us to, to fix, the third thing we can believe is that God is in control. That God can actually be trusted. That he has an intimate knowledge of the suffering and affliction that we're going through and what we need. 
And if this is what we believe, then instead of hopelessness or instead of faith in ourselves, we can actually have peace. We can have faith in God, a freedom of knowing that we may not be able to change our circumstances, and that is okay. We can trust God to minister to us, to be present with us, to give us what we need, even when we don't know that we need it. Of the three kind of postures toward suffering, we actually see that this last one is what Paul had. And we actually see it in this verse when he writes this, so that we would not trust in ourselves. We went through all of this. We despaired. We almost lost our lives so that we wouldn't trust in ourselves, but that we would trust in God who raises the dead. See, as we go through difficult times, it's really challenging sometimes to see what Paul is talking about here. How our suffering can actually result in something good, like a deeper trust and faith in God. But as Paul reflects on this situation where he, re- he felt like he received the sentence of death, this is where he ended up. A deeper trust, a deeper faith in God and his care for him. We actually see Paul write about this in other letters. One place was in the, in the letter of Romans chapter 8. This is a really popular verse that that many of us have maybe heard before. But look at what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Now, this is a verse that many of us, we may may get a tattoo of or print off to put somewhere because it is an encouraging verse. It is a promise that we can rest in. It's very encouraging for us. But what this is saying is that God uses all that we go through. In our life, the joyful, the discouraging, the easy, the difficult for our good. But here's the thing. Our good does not always mean comfort. It doesn't always mean autonomy or self-reliance. Sometimes our good is discomfort. Sometimes our good is being led to depend on God more than ourselves. Sometimes Our good is a daily reliance on God and his grace for our needs. I think one of the ways God uses affliction for good is that it draws us closer to him instead of just not needing him for our daily needs. Right before we see this promise of God using all for our good, we actually see him talk, we actually see Paul talk about our weakness Romans chapter 8, 26 and 27, the two verses right before it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints, that's Christians, saints according to the will of God. Twice in this passage, we see that word intercede. That is an important word. Intercede, it means to intervene on behalf of another person, to step in, to do for someone what they cannot do for themselves. And we actually see that God does this for us in our weakness. When we don't know how to pray as we should. Do you ever have days like that? You're like, God, I know I should pray, but I have no idea what to pray for. You know what, God, I don't even want to pray because I'm so mad. I can't believe this. How can this happen? 
It is in those moments the Spirit intercedes with inexpressible groanings for us. It is often when we are at our lowest that we experience the love and grace of God most deeply. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite writers, favorite theologians. In his faith story, it's, it's marked with pain. Right? He lost his mother as a child. He suffered the respiratory illness in his teens. He fought and was wounded in World War I. And, and he got married later in life. Um, but he lost his wife to cancer just four years after he was married to her. And he didn't process all this in, in a journal that we have, but he did write a book. And he wrote this book called The Problem of Pain. And, and after reflecting on this and searching the scriptures and just walking with Jesus through it, this is what he said about God's presence in our suffering. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. For the apostle Paul, it was pain and it was hardship that led him to trust God more deeply instead of continuing to trust in himself. Where in your life is God trying to get your attention? Where do you need to, to trust in him more than you're trusting in yourself? For Paul, he was led to this belief not in the good days, in the sunny skies. He was led to this belief and almost dying, despair, being beyond his strength. And as this happened, Paul fixed his eyes upward to where his help actually is, instead of inward toward himself and his own power to change his circumstances. We see Paul reflect on this further in the, in the last two verses we're going to look at. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Talking about God here, he has delivered us from such a terrible death, and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again while you join in helping us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. So Paul wraps up this, this little section by talking about the work of God in his life from past, present, and future. And he says it kind of in, in three ways. He says he has delivered us, he will deliver us, and he will deliver us again. See, as Paul looked at the past, present, and, and future of his life, his hope was secure, not in himself, but in God, in God's presence, in his provision. Paul was a man with an eternal perspective. And we actually see this hope magnified, uh, not only because of the work God did, but it was actually through the church community in Corinth do you see what Paul said? It was through their prayers that God worked. He says it two times. He says that they have put their hope in God while you join us in helping by your prayers, but also many will give thanks on our behalf because of the gift that came through the prayers of many. One of the greatest ways the Corinthian church served Paul, that other churches in the New Testament served Paul, it was by praying for him. Paul was a man who believed in the power of prayer. He never had an issue asking people to pray for him or asking communities to pray for him. Over seven different times, we see this in his letters. He asked very specifically, I need you to pray for this. Pray for my rescue from unbelievers. Pray that my proclamation of the gospel would be clear. 
Prayer for open doors to talk about Jesus. Pray for the word to spread rapidly. Pray for safe travel, right? We needed that today, didn't we? Getting here. Paul asked for prayer so often because he believed in its power. That's why he asked. And as he wrote to the Corinthians, he was confident that it is through your prayers that God will continue to deliver me. As I live for Christ, it is through you and your faithfulness to God that he will protect me and work through me. In these two verses, we see another way that affliction increases our faith. Just as increasing hardship, it leads us to trust in God more than ourselves. You know what it does? It leads us away from just living alone. It leads us toward life in community with other Christians. Because when we are known by others, that is when we can share our lives, our burdens, our afflictions. And we can do so by asking for prayer and actually praying with other people. Paul had no issue doing this. And this revealed what he believed about prayer, that it worked. That the prayer of believers was the means by which God often worked in the world. And in doing this, not only was Paul's faith encouraged, but the Corinthians was too. Imagine reading this letter as a Corinthian. Praise God. He answered our prayer in protecting Paul. We got to take part in that work. Think about yourself for a moment. How often do you ask for prayer from other people? When you face affliction, difficult moments in your life, do you share those burdens with people? Or do you just keep them to yourself and think, I don't, I don't want to upset anybody. I don't want them to worry. I'm fine. When we keep these afflictions and sufferings hidden from other people, I think that can often be a subtle form of pride that we don't want others to know that we need help, that we aren't as put together as we seem, that you know what, maybe the glass isn't half full. Maybe it feels empty and it's felt empty for a long time. But when we, when we don't ask others to pray for us or even pray ourselves, you know, we really reveal what we believe about prayer. It's not that important. What good is that going to do? But here, we are reminded that it is often through the faithfulness of God's people in prayer that God works, that he chooses to bring about his work in the world. In just three verses here, we see Paul open the door to the Corinthians a little bit about this situation where he was scared. He thought he was going to die. And as he went through this affliction that overwhelmed him and nearly took his life, he saw how that situation caused him to look to a different place. Not inward to himself, but upward to God and to trust him. And it also led him to praise God for the prayers that helped deliver him. And I think this was a way that God used difficult circumstances in Paul's life for his good. Every single one of us navigate this tension when it comes to suffering. You may be suffering right now. You may be afflicted right now. 
And more than anything, you may want understanding. You want to know why or how or what, what do you do. And you may not get the clarity that you want. But what should we remember as we ask those questions? Where should our faith be anchored as we walk through affliction in this life? From the three verses we saw today, I think there's two things we can learn. The first is this. When we walk through suffering, remember to trust God more than you trust yourself. As Paul thought back to when he was completely overwhelmed, he saw how being at the end of himself is what led him to trust God more than himself. He had an eternal perspective. He understood that the affliction he went through, it was not meaningless. It was not just a bad hand he was dealt in life, but it was to lead him to a deeper dependence upon the Lord. See, as followers of Jesus, we, can re- we, we rest in this truth and this belief that God is sovereign. What that means is that everything that happens in our lives— And in the lives of other people, it's not just a difficult hand for no reason. It's not random chance or coincidence, but all of it happens under the care and the counsel of God who knows us and who loves us and who promises to work things out for our good, even though we may define good differently than he does. And God's desire for us in those moments, in every moment, is that we would trust him. That we would remember who he is. That we would not white-knuckle our way through life thinking we can do it on our own, but that we would trust him more than ourselves. And what happens when we do that is that we are able to be faithful followers of Jesus in our suffering. And that is a powerful witness to the world. How can you trust God as you walk through that? Well, we can, and we do, because God is good. I love what a commentator said about this in his, in his commentary on 2 Corinthians. This is Scott Haifman. He read, when you know that your future is in the hands of an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise God who promises to work all things for your good, you are free to take any risk that love demands. No matter the cost, it is a biblical truth that the more earnest we become about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and the more devoted we become to reaching the unreached peoples of the world and exposing the works of darkness and loosing the bonds of sin and Satan, the more we will suffer. Where in your life do you need to trust in God more than you're trusting in yourself? How do you view affliction? Is it meaningless? Are you trying to control it? White knuckle your way through the difficult situations and just figure it out? Or is it an opportunity for you to trust God and to trust his sovereignty and to draw near to him? As we live for Christ, as difficulties come and they will come, we know that our future is in the hands of an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise God who promises to work things for our good. That is why we seek to trust in him more than we trust in ourselves. 
Along with that, the second thing we see in this passage that we should remember is that we should trust in the power of prayer. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he made them aware of his hardship, not only to share an update on his life, but to continue enlisting their help in prayer. Remember, he says, God will deliver us in the future through your prayers. God works through the petitions and the prayers of his people. As we share our lives with one another, one of the best things we can do is we can just take the mask off. And we can say, hey, I'm struggling. Will you pray for me? The glass is not half full. Please, will you pray for me? See, the life of a follower of Jesus, it's meant to be lived in community with other people. The Christian life, it is not a solo endeavor. And that is why for me, I am always so encouraged by these times that we spend together every single week on Sunday mornings because we're a community. We're a collective group of women and men and children who are striving to live for Jesus and making him known to the world. And this simple act of gathering every single week, of singing together, of opening the word of God together. These are marks of the cruciformed life. This is what we do. The world doesn't get it. You get up early on Sundays, you do that? I, no way. We do. Because it's important. Because God made us for this. He made us for one another. This is a life shaped by the cross of Jesus. This is what he made us for. He made us for one another. And so today, we're going to do one of those things that we do in community, that Jesus told us to do continually in remembrance of him. In just a few moments after I pray, we're going to take communion together. And what communion is, it's a simple practice. We're going to take a little cracker, and we're going to take a little cup of juice, and we're going to eat it, and we're going to drink it as a community. And we're going to do that first and foremost because Jesus tells us to. It's an act of worship. But we're going to do it to remember. We're going to do it to remember that through the suffering of one, grace abounded to many. As followers of Jesus, we believe that we are forgiven of all of our sin, past, present, and future, by the righteousness of a perfect person, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, who died on a cross for us, and who rose from the dead. So that cracker symbolizes his body, which was broken for us. And that juice is his blood that was shed for us. And as Christians, this is what our faith rests on, on Jesus, that he has saved us and that he is keeping us and that our identity is secure in him. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I'd encourage you that if you're a follower of Jesus, to get up, to go to one of the tables around the room and grab one of the cups, the crackers in the bottom. It's just one cup you can take. But as you return to your seat, and as you remember Jesus and the work on the cross that he did, I also want you to think about your answer to that question. 
Where is God trying to get your attention? Where do you need to trust in him more than you're trusting in yourself? Reflect on how through his suffering, he modeled for us what it looks like to have faith when we are suffering. That on the night before Jesus was crucified, even as he prayed and he asked for God to take the cup from him, he said, but not my will, but your will be done. You know, as I look back at this old journal and I think about the difficult moments in my life when I asked those questions, you know, I realize not every question I asked has been answered. Not every situation is all wrapped up in a bow and it works out and it's perfect, you know, in, in this life and in my understanding. But that's okay. Because peace doesn't come from having all the answers to our afflictions. No. No. Or living a life free of pain and difficulty. Peace comes through knowing God and experiencing life in Him. That means we live our lives sharing with one another in community. We remember the power of prayer and we trust in the sovereignty of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for your word and just for the opportunity we have to open it every single Sunday morning together. God, it's often easier not to, not to show up, not to be here. And there's sometimes there's reasons where we just can't be, but Lord, I just, I'm thankful for the opportunity we have to be here today. God, I also thank you that in your word you promise to work things out because, Lord, we go through a lot. Some of us this morning, we are afflicted and we're suffering and we, we maybe don't know why or we don't have satisfactory answers. But, God, I pray that you help us remember that peace doesn't come from understanding. We are, we're actually promised a peace that surpasses understanding. We see that in Philippians 4. God, that even though we don't know to the degree we may want to, why or how or what, we do know that you're good and that you love us and that you have promised to keep us and to work things out for our good. God, I pray for us this morning that in our suffering, that in our affliction, we can look to Jesus, the one who suffered, who was afflicted, and who trusted in his heavenly Father. We thank you for him and that our faith is in him and him alone. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.